1: Now, Joe, how's your week in technology going?
0: My week in technology has been a lot better in my than my week in my own meat sack. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks, computers. <laughs> I love that so much.
1: <laughs> Stupid meat sacks. Yes. <laughs> Oh, excellent. How about yours? Mine's been interesting. I was having a a grizzle. I've been dealing with some really wild traffic today and was absolutely fantasizing about a whole raft of better transport solutions, but the reality probably is more trams, more trains, less cars. But you know... That's, That's the, the dream. That's the absolute dream. Excellent. So, tonight on the show, we're going to hear from local startup Femtech, who are working on some really interesting and very innovative solutions for women's health and psycho literacy. And we're also starting to get warmed up for Melbourne International Games Week as we catch up with bite friend and regular to the show, Dr. Troy Innocent, hearing all about the Play Capital Arcade event that is kicking off next Tuesday, which we're super looking forward to.
0: Real stacked show. I'm really looking forward to both of these interviews tonight. Yeah, it's going to be a super
1: fun one, I reckon.
0: We should probably get into some news. Um, What's happening with um, my health record? Right, so a couple of things that our listeners, I know you
1: guys are going to want to hear about, so... Uh, in this year's federal budget, over $400 million has been allocated to a two-year modernisation program around the My Health record. And $13 million of that is set to basically support the building of a share-by-default setting for health providers. So by health providers, we mean like pathology, diagnostic imaging, so your x-rays, your bloods, that kind of stuff. Um, at the moment, it's not working super well. Um, so apparently only one in five of those diagnostic imaging reports are making it into your My Health record. Um, and so essentially, they want to modernise it, they want to change that, they want that to be sort of an opt-out rather than an opt-in situation. So, um, yeah, and and that data is set to be available from December 24. The government is consulting on these reforms. And, of course, we've spoken about it a few times on the show. But, you know, the big question mark, do you opt-out from My Health Record? or Do you opt-in?
0: I I, um, opted-out back when they set the deadline to opt-out. So I've never experienced what My Health Record can do. Have there been any updates around security of information? Do you know? Not that I'm aware of. Mm. Um, we all know that these kind of platforms
1: have a pretty dreadful track record in terms of security and privacy. I did discover during, you know, COVID hard lockdowns, because I did the same, I opted out of it um, prior to the deadline. And then I found that uh, stuff had been uploaded into it anyway, when I was going through, oh my gosh. you know, yeah, vaccinations and stuff during the COVID phase. So they were like, oh, yeah, no, your last two are already in the system on your oh, that's, health record. That's separate.
0: Of. That's separate from my health record. That's your vaccination record. Well, they told yeah. me that they were putting that stuff oh. in. Yeah. So I don't know whether it was a slip of the tongue, but I haven't
1: checked mine yeah. either, but it might be a good time to do it. Yeah. So, you know, in, interesting stuff on that front. So um, I guess it's just as much as anything, one to watch. And if you're someone who has opted out, might not hurt to log into your, my, to go of as much as mm. we all hate doing it and having a poke around.
0: If if I felt better about the security, I would really love to have my health record because being able to get my pathology results mm. uh, like that would be so useful. Oh, it's super useful. Like I've speaking think, of bad yeah. weeks and meat
1: sacks, you know, I don't, absolutely. Like I've I've got a new GP, so I've spent the last week ringing around pathology providers and x-ray providers and stuff having all this stuff faxed over to my new GP and it would be really cool if it came across yeah but even if I hadn't opted out it still wouldn't it's not yeah, likely exactly. to be in there anyway so yeah. so boo to that
0: um but well, speaking of meat sacks you've got something to chat about regarding <laughs> seatbelts oh yeah so apparently hundreds of Queenslanders um have been issued incorrect Seatbelt penalties and it's caused some to lose their driver's licenses. So, Queensland Transport implemented a system of enforcement cameras which um, were photographing drivers and capturing people breaking rules around things like phones and, uh, you know, phones while driving and seatbelts and things like that. But there was a, a fault in the camera program and it was identified by Transport and Main Roads. It uh, resulted in a number of incorrectly issued double demerit points for 1,842 drivers between November 2021 and August 31st this year. So uh, the Queensland government last month launched a 1.5 million road safety campaign focused on wearing (laughs) seatbelts correctly. (laughs) But um, yeah, almost 2,000 Queenslanders were issued incorrectly with penalties. So... Transport Minister for Queensland, Mark Bailey, has apologised to the people who've been impacted by the error. But far out, you know, losing your licence is a really big deal. It's
1: absolutely. You know, as, as someone who is frequently teetering on a two or three points on their driver's licence, <laughs> that is an absolute game-changer. And um, apologised to people. Apologised? Well, Did they get refunds that, yeah. on fines that they paid? Did they get points back? Did they get...
0: Anyway, I guess not put that keep in their an press eye. This was reported by the ABC, so keep an eye on the ABC and Exactly see what happens. See
1: what happens. Well, in a little bit of good news, yeah, we've I love got good to look news. for some shining lights. Um, and it, we often find in the tech world that – legislation is sometimes necessary for good things to happen to stop the tech bros from just running off and being lunatics. And California is about to sign off on a right to repair bill. So essentially what that is, is when uh, tech companies will do things like void your warranty if you take your computer, your phone, your whatever into the local shop or, you know, get the screen repaired or any of that sort of stuff. They'll void warranties, won't back the, you know, won't Mm -hmm. back the repair, that kind of stuff. And obviously that sort of stuff's been happening happening for a long time. Um, Even things like John Deere tractors. (laughs) Yeah, you know, John Deere tractors, you know, that's been a big thing. You can't, you know, get the dude up the road who's capable of fixing it to fix it. No, you've got to ship it out to John Deere and spend a billion dollars and all that sort of stuff. So legislation is actually on the move mm. to to make it a thing. Um, it needs to happen in as many places as possible so that it hits the manufacturers where it needs to yeah. hit them, of course. Well,
0: you know, the same thing with the cable standardisation and mm. things like that in Europe and the US, that, that sort of thing will flow on to... How products are sold and repaired here too. Oh, absolutely. Fingers crossed.
1: Yeah. Well, that that swerves me um, onto a bit of very quick Apple news, oh, yeah. which is kind of relevant to that. So we saw, we knew it was coming, but um, there's new iPhones and new Apple Watches on their way out the doors. Um, there's been a deliberate decision to not ad price rises because of, you know, cosy Lives, the good old cost of living crisis. They are USB-C charging cables. Yes. Um, there will be brighter displays, 48 megapixel camera and the Phone 15s have satellite connectivity that can now be used to summon roadside that's, assistance. That's good. And I saw that cool.
0: Apple have um, said uh, that they're going to make a commitment to Carbon Zero.
1: Which is also really good. Yeah.
0: Um, the californian
1: law the turning uh, the right to repair bill apple actually backed that and surprised everyone wow they went oh we were some of the worst um offenders yeah actually we've got you we agree we'll back that and we'll work it's with about, you on it it's so, about time yeah yeah so they're, they're really working hard on that so i've got to give them some credit only a little bit not too much yeah um and a final super quick one um Unity, bless it. So Unity is um, one of the most common bits of software or tools out there for making video games. It's really, really popular with, you know, students, indies, freelancers, you name it. And um, they're bringing in new fees and they've been described as an absolute disaster. So basically game developers who use Unity to build their game will be charged by Unity every time someone buys and installs the game. So it was just instantly and universally rejected by a lot of game developers. How do they they currently charge? Um, Well, you basically either pay like an annual subscription type fee. Um, In a lot of instances, it's essentially free, like if you're a student and all that kind of stuff. Oh, so
0: this is huge. It is
1: really big news. I've seen it blowing blowing up my Twitter feed today and um, it could actually potentially bankrupt some developers Mm. that, you know, particularly with popular games that they're not necessarily really making a lot of money on. There's obviously your big studios that are making absolute elephant bucks hand over fist, but there are a lot of people who do it for the love and not making much money if any, and this is just going to hit them in the hip pocket really bad. So people are probably going to move away from unity and move to more of an open source um, scenario. And yeah, Interesting. Mm, It it appears to be a move um, to you know the subscription model, software as a service type thing, and and yet again fold shit in so that we're locked into it. Yeah, Yeah. locked into it. Sick to death of it, personally, but you know, onwards ho. So sorry, game devs out there, um, feeling your pain.
0: Yep. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform.
1: We have got our first two guests for the evening, and we're going to talk all about Femtech. Uh, We've got uh, Olivia, who is the founder, and Ray, the developer. Welcome to the show, guys.
2: Hello. (laughs) Hello, hello. Well, thank you so much for coming in. For the benefit of our listeners, what is Femtech? So Femtech is the first menstrual health focused smart ring, which looks at the whole life cycle of a woman as opposed to treating them as a binary category and umbrella of just woman. We're looking at prepubescent to menopausal and everything in between. So women who have PCOS, endometriosis, don't have a cycle. All of these women deserve a unique user experience for their needs.
1: So that's a really awesome angle in terms of, you know, I've downloaded, you know, tracking apps and things like that in the past and found them to be precisely that, really binary and quite simplistic. And I could have put it in my calendar, frankly. In terms of the delivery, you've obviously got a whole bunch of tech. There's an app, you
2: know, that processes all the data. But tell us about the the item, the BB ring. So it is a smart ring and I always have to specify that it goes on your finger when I'm doing like verbal descriptions Mm -hmm. of it because everyone's like, oh, wait, where does it go? go (laughs) on your finger it's a smart ring um so it's a smart ring and you wear it overnight and it provides a lot of insights based on your biometrics so all of those period tracking apps are really inaccurate we're looking at a lot of aggregated data that isn't really relevant to you and your needs whereas we're giving you accurate insights because we're tracking you and your data
1: yeah, fantastic. So, really important question. I'm such a nerd about this
2: stuff. What colours does it come in? <laughs> that is the most important question. Always. For, for now, it is our on very on-brand purple, but open to input on that. I think Ray will have some uh, very on-brand black suggestion that comes through. What's look, on the wish list, Ray? Look, it's it's
0: Melbourne. You kind of... It's
2: yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> Head to turn black. Oh gotta love it.
1: So you've also had a Kickstarter. Tell us a little bit about what objective the Kickstarter was. Was it in terms of getting the product into production or was it supporting more tech development?
2: Look, honestly, it was a bit of both. So the Kickstarter was something that I did um, prior to really anyone being in the team. So mm-hmm. Ray's come on recently and was a really big part of FemTech and coming on because it's like I'm not I'm not a technical founder. I come from health sciences and working with women and a lot of the decisions and things that I did, like starting the Kickstarter, I was like oh this just makes sense. Like this is what you do, right? So in hindsight, maybe I would have done something differently, but the Kickstarter was really about getting it out there, showing that we're not just, you know, some scam website that's been set up with some (laughs) graphics and it's like pre-order, give us your money. It was a lot more, you know, legitimate that way.
1: Well, I I sort of wasn't planning on jumping into it so early in the interview, but I did see on your Instagram page that a a rather large um, competitor really came close to the bone in terms of immediately ripping the product off, which I'm sure must have been immensely disappointing to see out
2: there. It was super disappointing. Um that was something we saw and it's like you know when you just start getting those nervous sweats and you're like holy shit like is mm. this where it ends? But yeah, that was really disappointing. And I think the the saddest thing about it moving forward is that I still see people recommending it. And so it's in a lot of, you know, fertility groups, a lot of women will recommend it. And I'm always the one that's in there being like, hey, guys, just so you know, they stole our idea. They stole us. So the big differentiator is obviously our community and what we're looking to provide for women. All of the knowledge that I have from the last decade, you know, that's not something that can be replicated. Mm. Our community can't be replicated and what our mission and values are that can't be replicated. So, you know, they can take the design but and the idea, but they can't do much with it. And the same thing happened with um, with Whoop as well. It was Amazon who did like a rip-off of their design and then it ended up being pulled from the market. So, yeah, oh, terrific. Geez.
3: There's always a risk of this, I suppose, in any product development is that people can always like look at what you're doing and a lot of the time, it comes down to execution like you can you can copy the idea you can copy the designs all this kind of stuff but are you able to deliver what customers need are you able to like quickly mm. respond to the changing demands of what people want. So that's, that's where the difference comes in.
2: What does the ring measure? So it measures heart rate variability and basal temperature. We also measure SpO2, but that's not released in the app from, you know, the first version. And there's a few reasons for that. We didn't want to give data overload to our users. You know, it's important to actually understand what the metrics are. And then it's a big bonus. You get to update your app and there's SpO2 in there. What's SpO2? So that's blood oxygen saturation. and So a really useful marker, but there's just no research on it in terms of the menstrual cycle and what that means. And truthfully, there's not a lot of research on the menstrual cycle and what it means, Mm. which is... Really, really disappointing. But as a whole, women have just been so excluded from research, and we're just, you know, if you think of pregnant women, it's it's even a bigger black hole <laughs> as to what the research shows for them. So I think that's a really exciting part of what we get to do, and we get to shift the needle forward because we do de-identified data, so Fantastic. we'll be able to do a yeah. lot of research and and help a lot of women understand, you know, what you're experiencing now is actually on par with a lot of a lot of other women experience when they're menopausal when they have Mm. endo which will be
1: immensely powerful because i I remember reading embarrassingly recently that we found out that you know pads and tampons and stuff their absorbency had been tested with water yeah not even like a plasma blood replacement or let learn blood but that blow my water. mind i literally posted like, on this today uh, yeah you, like, what the you're hell? kidding yeah. me um so I, i'm all here for any opportunity to add to the you know the data pit for, for women is is mm-hmm. a really really powerful thing um and obviously you've been working on this concept for a very very long time um Where did the grain of the idea first come from, if we really take it back to the dinosaur bones level of it? The
2: dinosaur bones. Yeah. (laughs) So this came first as an idea because I was working with clients. I started as a personal trainer and then as you realise, you know, you need more than a barbell to fix your issues sometimes. Mm. So you go back, you come in with a fresh set of eyes And it was really painful to get information from my clients about, you know, where they were in their cycle and then when you looked at all of the wearables that were out there, they were built on men and for men and then repurposed for women. All the data was aggregated and everything was aggregated and they just weren't getting those insights. So that's where it was born from, where I was like, Oh my god, how hard can this be? I'll just start (laughs) a ring. (laughs) Little side hustle. Yeah, so that's where it really started and it's it's a lot better now. Um, you know, Ray's a big part of why it's so much better now and easier because non-technical founder. And there was a lot of mistakes along the way where I just didn't know what needed to be done. So you know, Ray's official title is CTO, but like in my brain, he's the fixes everything officer. <laughs> there's, there's the a, janitor,
3: yeah, come along afterwards and clean
2: up he's he's cleaned up quite a few messes. So yeah, that's really where it started. I just wanted insights on my clients. And the the big kicker and the jokes on me is that now I don't have clients because FemTech has chewed up all of my times. So <laughs> <laughs> take take it taken world, over taken over my Taken over my life.
0: <laughs> this is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organization in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how.
1: Absolutely. Well, Ray, I was actually um, quite curious, you know, your title is um, developer. Um, Tell us a bit more about what you do as, you know, head janitor and fixer and all things. (laughs) Yeah, fill us in.
3: Uh, It's kind of hard to sort of put it all in a simple, nice, neatly labelled box, but Mm -hmm. I guess trying to sort of understand where the problems are going to be in the near future and, and try and build enough to deliver on that without what? getting too carried away building the perfect thing because mm-hmm. that will take longer and you may well end up having to change what the product is along the way. So trying to keep each iteration quite small, focused. Coming into this project, there's – I wouldn't say there are mistakes. There were things that needed to be Lessons. done at the time. Lessons. You know, decisions had to be made, need to keep moving things forward. Mm-hmm. But now as we approach – production and getting things out there there's a few things that need to be tidied up and you know got to make sure that the website's nice and fast you know which as of today it is a bit faster um, <laughs> and making sure that everything's prepared for the uh, as much as you can for the unexpected the right? mm. common phrase is like engineering for failure like, yeah it's like you can't just build things for the perfect scenario you've got to build things for to try and encompass as many of these edge cases as possible or, or probable failure conditions so yeah that's probably the general shape, yeah, the awesome.
1: So, Ray, um, what are what are some of the surprises you've had along along your femtech journey?
3: I don't think there's been any untoward surprises. It's all been done. Good <laughs> ones, are welcome. <laughs> I've done my fair share of startups over the years, and so um, I've seen many of the same things, places as well. And I think what I find quite interesting about this, a pleasant, well, it's not so much a surprise, but a pleasant mixture of technologies i suppose like being a hardware focused thing like the hardware development that's super interesting so hardware mobile there's like obviously back-end infrastructure as well Mm -hmm. so there's quite a lot of things going on many cogs in the machine that all need to sort of work together quite well so that's probably like a a bigger challenge than it has been in the past when you're just building back-end stuff or a mobile app it's like there's Mm -hmm. so many different parts of the puzzle
1: and how
2: about you olivia Surprises. (laughs) Surprises. <laughs> Jesus, do you want me to give you a summary of four years of surprises? Um, look, for me, one of the biggest surprises was the way I approach work and the way I approach things is with a lot of passion. I, If I'm trying to do something, I'm doing it to 100%, whereas unfortunately that's not how a lot of people approach what they do. So um, one of the surprises was along the way I just – t- I took people at face value, what they were telling me they were going to do, And unfortunately, that resulted in a lower quality of work, lower quality of product that was developed. So that was one of the difficult surprises along the way. And that's something that, you know, Ray kind of got his teeth into the back end and the technical work. And it's like, oh, well, you know, they didn't do this. They didn't do this. They didn't do this.
3: Yes. Okay. That was a surprise (laughs) in the negative sense. Yeah. You kind of have an expectation. It was on hands over a piece of work. It's like ready to go. And when it turns out, actually, this is probably got quite a lot more work to be done you know i don't want to get too technical but simple things like you know what happens if this server falls over well then everything's down there's no kind of recovery mechanism there's no like self-healing or any of mm-hmm. this kind of stuff so there's all these like i was saying engineering for failure none of that stuff had been done so that was a little bit of a surprise i suppose but yeah that's yes, was... that's
2: why you hire the people <laughs> yeah there's, there's a there's a saying you hire the smart people because it makes you smarter so you know, hire all the smart people, they can fix all the mistakes. And I, by default, get smarter being around them.
1: Oh, definitely. And, you know, there's always so much power as well in knowing where your strengths are, working to those Mm. and, you know, making sure that you're surrounded with, you know, people who all have complementary strengths. It's a really, you know, really critical thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Joe and I were having a little bit of a chat um, before the show around all things Privacy and uh, America. Um, Oh, great topic. Yeah, and um, obviously there's been – I don't know, Joe, if you want to jump on this, but – Yeah,
0: just reading the news um, coming out of the States with pregnant people being charged for having miscarriages and things like that and then having their period app data, um, being forced to hand that over, what sort of protections um, are built in for those kinds of cases in the States? Do you want to answer this one?
2: Right?
3: Okay, I'll take a stab. <laughs> I think privacy is obviously a massive issue. There was a point that you made earlier actually about, you know, when you do go into any of this these sorts of areas, predominantly the data that's out there from research is very biased towards um, men, <laughs> you know, white men at that. So if you're trying to build anything using data, it gets it's really, really hard to adjust for that for especially for the, the more underrepresented these people are mm. so to, to combat that you want to gather more data but then the flip side of that is the privacy issue as well so there's, there's always this tension between having the data available and like the, the privacy aspect how do we give people the access to their own data mm. but make sure no one else gets hold of it and make sure it's de-identified as much as possible so i think in those scenarios i don't necessarily know of a silver bullet that's going to solve it completely but there are certain approaches you could do for example you have like a fake mode where Mm -hmm. you can sort of like log into a fake version which uh, has no data or fake data or something like that so it's not revealing your own data you could also have like some sort of like kill switch thing so Mm. you just dump the data and just blow it away but that you know it's like trying to find something where you can make sure that the user is fundamentally always in control of their own data and that's probably the priority. But you know, trying to account for all the different nefarious legal tools that uh, a government could use to force people to hand over their data is quite hard because then they could just make it illegal to wipe your own data. And, oh, you know, yeah. We already have some of these issues here where like, organisations have to retain data for like, a number of years. I think Medibank was a result of that. Like A lot of oh, absolutely, was not, yeah, you know, was being retained under the counter-terrorism anti-money laundering so it's like yeah
1: Yeah, we've we've covered those situations quite a bit on the show and that essentially Australia has created a delicious honeypot for overseas hackers looking to you know grab private data and that's been legislated in Mm. Um, yeah and completely understand that it is a really uh, complex space and it continues to be a moving feast and you know sure that with any um, innovative product you don't want to be led by the most extreme bit of state-based legislation another country is running with it was just something yeah we we were really curious it's, as to
0: and it's really lovely to hear the thoughtfulness that you've put into thinking about all of these scenarios as well
2: I think that's um that's a big thing that you'll see throughout Femtech and what we do as well where there is a lot of thoughtfulness um at the end of the day I, I was I was and am a consumer first you know now I started this company but I am thinking about the consumer all the time and what they need and how can we protect them because at the end of the day, I don't want my data being leaked. I don't want someone having access to that. So what can we do to make sure that doesn't happen where we can also shift that needle for research and we can help the populace as a whole. So I think there's ways we can go about it. There's a lot of de-identified information and at the end of the day, the more cycle literacy and body literacy women have and the more insights they have around where they're ovulating, the more that offsets the risk of an unintended or unwanted pregnancy because you actually have that awareness of mm. your fertility is highest. Yeah. So, yeah, no that's that's exciting.
1: I was quite curious as well. What's what's next? Like I saw on on your website, obviously it's been your first round of selling the product is successful. It's now a waitlist situation, which is really exciting. So people can go to femtechwithak.co and pop their details down to hear about
2: when they're next released. But yeah, what's what's coming down the pipeline? Delivery, <laughs> De- delivery is a big Making one. More. <laughs> there's um there's always issues that happen with the first manufacturing run. A lot of lessons, but we actually have some really exciting software development that we're working on both from the B2B side where we can support practitioners because that was something that was lacking for me when I was working with clients mm-hmm. and then we're also going down that really fun tongue-in-cheek side which you know I'm totally happy to talk about it because it's our partner Pulse app yep. but it's essentially the um, the male version of hey, Olivia started her period, make sure you get chocolate on the way home like <laughs> just, just that friendly so message yeah. um, because what, what we know, what a lot of uh, women in heterosexual relationships relationships will say is that you know men have the best intentions but they just need a gentle nudge in the right direction so we'll give them that gentle nudge of of what our users need oh, i love that that's cute
1: <laughs> excellent well um as i mentioned before um our listeners if you want to uh, suss it all out you can find out more at femtech which is f-e-m-t-e-k dot co um olivia and ray thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight thank you,
0: thank you. appreciate it
3: This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website, rrr.org.au.
1: So game designer and urban play scholar Troy Innocent is director of the RMIT Future Play Lab and we're about to talk to them tonight about the Play Capital Arcade event next Tuesday, the 19th of September. Welcome to the Byte Into It studio, Troy. So can you give us the lowdown of what the event is?
4: Yeah, sure. So it's a screening at at the capital on Swanston Street of the 1982 film Tron. When we kind of discovered this... Arcade underneath the Capitol and decided to turn it into a, a street arcade, we wanted to make this connection to what arcades were in terms of, you know, the cultural imagination, their role that they play in cities, the kind of role they play in also... Inspiring a whole generation of people exploring things like virtual reality, games, you know, taking that idea of, of something like an imaginary world and making it something you can live in, which is what, you know, people would go to an arcade to do, right? And that's mm. what the film is all about is that this um, world that the computer programmer, the main character, has imagined, is able to inhabit it. So it becomes this visual and spatial metaphor for what code and data and computation and AI is. This is in 1982. So this way, ahead of its time. Yeah,
1: oh, absolutely. And I think sometimes in the past, whether it was, you know, The Jetsons or Tron in 1982, I think sometimes the the future imaginations were almost better than what we're spitting out yeah. today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how how do you want people to experience this event because there's obviously a few layers to it.
4: So, you know, first and foremost, you can come along and just watch the film. Yeah. So, and that's a fantastic reason it's a it's an incredible film for so many reasons and we can we can talk about that and you know not only is it probably the only film where Disney hasn't ripped someone else off in terms of making the idea it's also got amazing visual effects it's got um an incredible story it's got this kind of early early kind of popular retelling of the story of AI mm. and, you know how AI kind of understands its world and inhabits its own world so and which is really interesting from the point of view of you know say post human thinking because we all kind of like think oh yeah ai is going to be like us they're going to have the same way of thinking as us but no they they kind of like they're just like any other organism i guess if you can call them that they imagine their world and Uh, kind of work with the rules of their world and that's what we're also doing with the uh, arcade underneath the Capitol is imagining what so so arcades there's there's two main ways that we encounter them one which is probably unfamiliar to to most people but which is you know arcades began as as the kind of precursor to shopping malls and Melbourne Mm -hmm. has many arcades and th- this one is, is a bit of a lost arcade. I mean, I didn't even know it was there until a few years ago and started exploring this area post-COVID as part of another project. And so ever since then, it's kind of stuck in my mind as as, you know, what it could be. So we're also looking at the arcade, which, you know, traditionally was a space that people would go to play video games and, you know, pay money to do that. And of course, that's changed because, Play games anywhere and everywhere, Ooh, we've and, got a and people do all over the place. And so we're looking at this idea of a street arcade. So we're embedding arcade machines that I- into the space of the arcade itself. So it's this kind of meta double arcade. layer, yeah, meta arcade, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, uh, and, and, and they're not just any arcade machines either. They're games that we've made in the Future Play Lab. So we've collaborated with musicians, with Indigenous artists, um, with RMIT students. It's quite a diverse mix. of voices that are in these kind of bespoke playable art machines. I mean, mm. you know, people there's one of them that looks like a traditional arcade machine, but some of them, you know, one of them doesn't even have a screen, for example, and some of them are weird shapes and one of them looks like an art installation. Oh, I mean, it is.
1: yeah, see, this is this is the bit that I've been dying to sort of scratch under the surface a little bit and find out a little bit more because I was like, oh, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a whole bunch of Frogger yeah, and right. Pac-Man <laughs> down there <Yeah>. some, <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> I mean, Frogger's Pretty
4: cool. Yeah, nothing but, wrong with um,
1: those games. They're fantastic. No, no, you grew so, up on that stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I was very curious. Is in terms of uh, yeah, in terms of what people can expect. So you've got you know one one game that's you know in the good old big old encased housing, the old school styles, but there's obviously such an incredible array of other ways to deliver. This kind of experience. Do you have a, a personal favourite?
4: Oh, I mean, that's really hard. Sorry, <laughs> but, but um, I mean, the the one project, the one game that's really kicked off a whole thread of of of, of research in in the lab. So I would probably call that my personal favourite, at least today, anyway. Is Yawa, which is a collaboration with Nawi Carolyn Briggs, who's a Boonarang elder, mm-hmm. and she's shared 30 words from the Boonarang language. Mm. Uh, and they're embedded in this uh, landscape, which is made by J- uh, Jara Carolyn Steele, who's a fantastic public artist, uh, media artist, kind of working with games and AR and all, you know, public space, really incredible um, uh, kind of artistic voice that, yep. that's kind of ri- rising up and probably know her from Rising, for example, ah, since uh, yes, yep. she curates the um, our TRAMS project, has done for the last few years. So there's this artwork that you move across and so there's no real end to the game. It's exploration for four people. And so it's, a, it's kind of inspired by the, the sit down game that you'd have in a... An fish and chip shop, or something like that, where you know four people sit around and they explore this world together. And as they do, they they just they hear and see and 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 well, they don't even have to learn. They just kind of like in these these worlds. And all of the words uh, are words from Nam. So mm-hmm. these are uh, words that describe what used to be here, as yep. you know, used to be the largest wetlands in Australia. And there's also a soundtrack by Narayana Johnson, who you might know mm. from Cult of the Lamb. Yep. And so it's this kind of mix of of, of, of different voices in a, a really kind of unique uh, game world that, that just happens to, to be kind of slow and meditative and exploratory, uh, you know, kind of exploratory. Um, and the idea is, you know, people have conversations around this table and, and um, listen, they can you know, dive into the world, they can come out of it. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's my favourite. You can hear me raving about it, Yawa.
1: <laughs> no, that sounds completely <laughs> awesome. So we're currently speaking with uh, Dr. Troy Innocent, who's the um, Future Play Lab artist game maker, and we're having a chat about the Play Capital Arcade event that's on next Tuesday the 19th, screening of Tron, a meta arcade packed with really cool innovations, arts and creativity. I saw that um, one of the games that's available in the arcade as well, you can make music from emojis, you simply must tell me more.
4: <laughs> yeah, okay, so this is another meta project. So <laughs> so it, it kind of brings together a whole bunch of different theories, so I'll try and do this really quickly. Yeah. Uh, around the 18th century, people made color light organs. So essentially they're trying to, you know, this is its early take on synesthesia. So each note on the organ would generate a a kind of a colored light. So it's that, but it's also, there's this um, psychologist, Robert Plutchik, who's come up with this wheel of emotions. So he's essentially mapped emotions into these relational matrix of a wheel. And so then we throw on top of that, the emergence of emojis in the last uh, two decades, throw in a bit of kind of large language models, you know, AI, chat yeah. GPT kind of thinking and collapse all of these things into a kind of a, a game where essentially you're you're firing off emojis. And onto this wheel, and you're trying to change the mood of the space. So three players, and you can make them make. You can make the space angry. You can make it um, kind of fearful. You can make it sad. You can make it joyful. As as you're doing this, the whole space is light. it's in a vacant shop. So it mm-hmm. takes up a whole shop space. Fills with different coloured light and sound, and the soundtracks by Alison Walker are uh, so fantastic. Melbourne-based musician, and you can be competitive or you can just kind of like go with the flow and you play it via a keyboard. So musical keyboard. It's like this uh, sound, light, organ, colour, emotion, emoji experience.
1: Absolutely sensational. Awesome. So this really cool, cool, cool event, like I'm so not going to miss this, um, been presented with support from the city of Melbourne, the Dusk Till Dawn Activation Grants Program. And saying that this year, the games are also going to be presented in English and Mandarin, which is incredibly cool. So do the little spiel we are Play Capital Arcade. You want to go. It's at the Capitol, Swanson Street, special screening of Tron, a public talk and a tour of the street arcade, 6pm next Tuesday, September 19th. Um, so also members of the Future Play Lab will be appearing in the arcade looking for challenges. Yeah, yeah So you're not going to be thrown out to the wolves. You're going to have, have a few fights on your hand first. <laughs> yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. After the screening, we've got kind of two hours to play in the arcade. It's Fantastic. kind of like a special opening. Usually that arcade closes at 8pm, but we've got it to ourselves. The arcade's free to play for the next month after it launches. It's um, oh. part of Games Week as well. Thank you so much, Troy. Uh, we've been speaking to Dr Troy
1: Innocent, future Playlab artist, game maker. Thank you.
4: Thanks, very look forward to playing Music Emoji with you. Pew!
3: You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform.
1: So we love getting to weird news of the week, and Joe, we've got a little weird news of the week to talk about. Oh,
0: so tell me about this. Um, who's turning twenty?
1: Oh, not me, sadly, but huh? Steam. Can you believe it? So Steam, the game digital distribution platform, officially launched September twelfth, two 2003. So um, it wasn't actually particularly popular when it was launched, but it has ground away and ground away and ground away, turned 20, and now it's just an absolute behemoth of a thing, and it's fantastic. Do, do you use Steam
0: at all? I have used Steam. Um I used it to last year download a local game. So mm. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a gamer. I have to admit. So, for for someone like me to be using it, it's, it's huge.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was kind of interesting um, having a little bit of walk down memory lane with this one, but. 20 years ago, Steam was really, really innovative. That was in the era of uh, sort of like DVD games Mm. and multiplayer games and that kind of stuff, and it really heralded a a new way of of going about and doing things. So it's really cool to see that it's persisted, it's done something really interesting, and here we are. Games are much more readily available. And One of my favourite things about I think Steam and the model that Steam has is that the barriers to entry for indie developers design as creatives is uh, it's so much lower and that's why we've got some of the coolest stuff out there you know some of the best most fun weird little things out there are done just by people hacking away late at night you know at home making really cool shit for people and And Steam has been a big part of
0: that being available to the whole wide world so happy birthday steam Radical action is needed to improve Australia's transport systems. I can agree with that statement. (laughs) Where our cities, towns and suburbs are increasingly designed for car traffic instead of people, according to a Dutch researcher, the the cycling professor, Marco de Brommelstrud, I hope I said that correctly, (laughs) um, who is a professor in urban mobility futures at the University of Amsterdam, And is challenging Australians to reimagine the way that communities and governments think about mobility systems, streets and public space. He's keynote speaker this week at the Australian Institute of Transport and Planning National Conference. So you can get more details about that from aitpm.com.au. Sounds
1: real interesting. Sounds super interesting. Apparently, um, Marco is a really interesting punter as well and literally does cycle everywhere. It's part of the personal brand. Gets out and about and has done some pretty cool cycling trips as well. And, you know, as someone who has probably spent, I reckon – Five hours cum- cumulatively stuck in traffic today alone. Oh. I am here for anything that makes these things a little bit better, and I will never let my motorbike battery get so flat ever again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Absolute torture on wheels.
0: <laughs> uh, you have been listening to Buy Into It on Triple R tonight, and a real big thank you to our guests this evening, Olivia and Ray from Femtech, and Dr. Troy Innocent.